previously on the Market Meditations podcast. Hello, hello, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Market Meditations, where Chris Heidel and myself, Neil Modi, uh, interview people we find interesting that we can learn from and hopefully become better human beings and better investors. We appreciate you joining us along our journey. And today you're in for a real treat. We have Andrew Haslam from Providence, um, the second largest healthcare system in the country, a hospital system in the country, and John Milne, the head of the real estate division at the second largest hospital system in the country. And we are excited to have them both as they share their views and control a lot of real estate about the future of the value of real estate and where it's all going, uh, especially with all of the pandemonium caused by the pandemic from um, the price of retail because of Amazon, obviously cannibalizing a lot of retail value and, and Walmart doing pretty well at that as well. Um, and then also uh, looking at uh, office space and where it's going. Uh, there's just a lot more questions and answers. And I thought uh, a group of guys who managed you know over $10 billion in real estate assets might be able to give us some insight. We'll find out if we're right. Um, I hope you've been joining the last bunch of episodes as well. If you have, please take a moment and rate us five stars on whatever platform you're listening to. You know, just kind of the, the same thing I think I always start. With, you know, you represent 121 families, um, 120 families. Um, what is it you're sharing with them that you kind of saw in the market this week? And I know the market's not over. and <laughs> So it can be a turbulent ride on ride tomorrow on the 28th. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, what I say now is already going to be stale. <laughs> it's, uh, but some things are, are um, you know, it, it just takes... Um, the steadfastness to really observe what's going on. I mean, the first, the financial markets are running up and I'm not the first or the last to observe that there's a sort of disconnect between the economic outcomes and the reality on the ground and what many of the markets are doing. Of course, um, technology shares uh, especially have rallied hard and have benefited um, in many ways from the pandemic, certain technology shares. Um, but still, if you really look at earnings objectively, um, there's not any growth. And, you know, the World Bank just indicated that a record 93%, 92.9, let's be exact, of the world's countries are in a recession. I mean, the, the previous record for such a coordinated and synchronized decline globally was the Great Depression. And then it was 83, 84% or so of the global economy that was um, contracting. So this exceeds those highs, you know, registered during the Great Depression. Um, and also, um, you know, uh, following World War I, where 70% of the economies were contracting together. I, I bring that up because when there's a coordinated global recession like this, um, the time to climb back out to a more normal economic environment just takes longer. It's not as if one country sort of um, fell under um, and contracted and then, you know, with the help of their trading partners was able to climb out more quickly. I just mean that um, we're still very guarded in thinking about this um, from a long-term perspective. 
for our clients, for the preservation of their capital, um, and to find what growth opportunities may really exist um, in the longer term, if we can connect the near to the far. Because it will take um, longer for us to um, get back to a more stable economic environment than it has in past um, declines, I believe. So, Chris, you know, you and I have had this conversation about investing in private companies. I, I know you invest in private REITs and all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, you know, if, you know, hearing even more about how John looks at the future of healthcare real estate, we'll call it, um, mm-hmm. you know, and and looking more at um, some of the private companies you're probably looking at and the 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 fraud we're constantly seeing in the market. Mm-hmm. I mean, other than investing more in outer space, uh, <laughs> that, that was definitely a joke in case somebody missed it. <laughs> uh, what 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 things are catching your eye that are gaining momentum? How's that? Huh. Huh. Um, well, we talked about one of them, um, and I've been, you know, very fascinated. Uh, our conversation with Ray Mizuka uh, in the gaming space, um, and how I think, in many ways, that that area is underappreciated um, in terms of the crossover potential that we're going to see. Um, I know, again, there's much talk of a, this kind of metaverse, but I do think that uh, many of those platforms like Epic's created um, are really transferable into the business environment. So, and I think that um, we're really just a hair's breath, a hair's breath away from, from that kind of uh, crossover potential, um, especially now with remote work and some things that could use the improvement that uh, gamification can bring. Um, Otherwise, though, Neil, I have to say, I've been looking at the, the detritus. The, <laughs> I've been combing through the debris of the collapse, looking at in the, the, the junkyard for um, lost treasure. Um, <laughs> so many things um, have collapsed. Um, but also, uh, there are many things that are at generational lows. And here I'm specifically speaking of the commodities complex, right? We're, you know, we're really seeing um, this tightness in many commodity markets. If you look at the price of lumber or now natural gas, and it will soon be oil. Um, you know, I think the, the unlimited amount of money that central banks have been creating has created over these years, many years this has gone on, um, uh, this impression that the, that we've repealed scarcity, that, um, that we live in a world of infinite resources. And um, I think global warming has helped, at least in its earlier stages, to improve crop yields, um, which contributes to that idea. Of course, uh, I mentioned the tremendous stimulus globally, which continues to accelerate. Um, but if we really look, you know, the... Um, oil and energy crisis that we've just uh, gone through, the demand destruction from COVID, um, and the supply um, uh, problem that was caused by OPEC plus in Saudi Arabia, um, and that disagreement between Russia and and Saudi Arabia, um, has created a situation where, for the first time I can remember, 
we have um, just seen a dramatic collapse in operating oil rigs, not just in the U.S., where 75% of rigs which were in operation in November have been shut in. But globally, I think uh, I read globally now from the IEA, the International Energy Administration, that there are 800 now, 800 operating oil rigs globally, the lowest number ever recorded. So um, we're, you know, um, becoming less dependent on uh, hydrocarbons, certainly, but still it's the backbone of our energy infrastructure and certainly for emerging markets like India and still China, Vietnam, places where there is um, economic growth and a long runway, um, they're responsible for 60% or so emerging markets are of global oil demand. So that'll probably come back rather quickly. And I think um, you heard it here first, maybe, <laughs> that the, the future energy crisis is baked into the cake. So um, oil, oil field services, the hydrocarbon space, natural gas especially, because with the shut-in of all these oil wells, the natural gas supply is going to be crimped dramatically. Um, over half of our natural gas supply came from associated gas, which was uh, gas that's associated with oil wells and rigs, especially shale drilling. And um, that's where the greatest uh, number of wells have been shut in. So that natural gas supply is severely crimped. And that's what we're seeing too in the natural gas prices, which are rallying. Um, and which that uh, is a market which has been oversupplied for almost two decades. So, um, yeah, the, so those kinds of things are, are where we're looking and then thinking of industries that we just can't do without. Um, we talked about this before, Neil, shipping and some other really um, um, unavoidable uh, necessities of global trade um, are going to be beneficiaries uh, in the long run of this new environment. And many of those uh, companies are trading at very attractive valuations. Andrew or, or, or John, since we have you, I'm curious, do you have any questions, any thoughts? Any disagreements? Don't disagree, especially with with Chris. And that's a that's a good proposition right there. So, um, but the the thing, I, I, Chris, I'm curious about though is as the, the the pivot that's I think that's happened for us, and you and I have actually talked about this a little bit in the, in the past. Is is you know we've dodged several bullets when we over the last uh, several decades with regard to infectious diseases, as we think about SARS and MERS and mm -hmm. Zika virus and very you know uh, swine flu and whatnot. So if we think about all of those those pieces, we finally had one that hit us here with COVID. Um, I'm wondering what is the long term reverb in terms of. Uh, now we have awoken to the fact that we live in a world where infectious diseases are always there. They always have been there. We just have kind of been, uh, you know, head in the sand a little bit with them. Does the, you know, does the corporate environment or, you know, do companies look at this in a different way? Does it change their worldview? Or are they going to go back to putting their head back in the sand once this kind of the immediacy of, the COVID crisis ebbs, and and it, or it has this permanently scarred the landscape? I guess uh, as you think about it from an investment perspective, and does that change your your worldview at all in terms of how you think about where your 
you're looking for opportunity. Um, thanks, John. Yeah, the the answer to all of those questions is it's still developing. I would say you asked a question about human nature first, you know, um, will we go back to putting our heads in the sand after we've um, successfully tamed COVID in some sense? And I think that's possible, but of course, it does depend on the duration of this panic or this crisis and um, how long we suffer through it. Um, Andrew, you even mentioned earlier, you know, that eventually and over time, new habits are inculcated. Right. And so the longer we're in this, the, but you know, it's so funny you, you bring that up. I was just talking to a, a, a real estate investment trust uh, sponsor recently in New York, and they're, of course, trying to buy office very cheaply. And his selling point is that we're going to have to socially distance in the future. So companies need more square footage. And of course, <laughs> this is talking to the shoemaker and asking if I need new shoes. But right. that's, that's uh, one man's opinion. And he is certainly uh, talking his book, as we say. But it um, it's fascinating. I think there are opinions which are all over the map. And uh, certainly we talked about real estate earlier, but even in other parts of business um, and uh, how, how much work from home will be permanent or semi-permanent, especially as many large companies are making it a kind of permanent uh, endeavor uh, and making it uh, an offer. There's a law firm here in Los Angeles, which is giving all of their um, senior partners the option so we're, we're seeing it in large companies and uh, medium-sized companies as well, and we'll see it in much in many smaller ones. Um, but yeah, I, I just really think that um, we're still running a little bit like Wile E. Coyote. We've gone past the edge of the cliff, and we haven't realized that the ground beneath us is not there. Um, we've kind of overshot, and I'm thinking of this in terms of the financial markets, um, you know, the argument that we often hear is, oh, they're looking past the crisis. But uh, my God, <laughs> we're still in the first stages. We haven't reached the end of the beginning, let alone looking past it. So um, I do think that there will be permanent changes in the work environment. Um, those are some of the things I mentioned earlier I'm trying to think through. But as yet, I'm still um, open uh, and trying to exercise as much imagination as I can to come up with these uh, ideas that make sense. Well, and a question I have, Chris, I mean, the, the U.S. GDP, last I looked, it dropped, it was nearly 33%, I believe, in the second quarter. And, um, you know, of that, you know, I think, if I, if I remember correctly, exports were down almost, you know, they were almost 65%. Mm -hmm. um, you know, as we start to see, to your point, a, um, you know, a, at least more hybrid, comfortable model of working remotely um, in what we do. I mean, where do you see some of that uh, investment going? I mean, there, as we know, there are a lot of investors out there, you know, kind of sitting on, um, you know, investment capital looking to place it somewhere. Right. And where are they placing their bets as as you kind of see? You know, GDP declining, you started out by saying, what was it, 90? What was the percentage? 90 plus? Yeah, yeah, it's 92.9% it's according to the World Bank or in, yeah. in a synchronous recession, yeah, Co uh, coordinated so, decline. 
so where do we, you know, where, what is driving our markets as we go forward, right? I mean, um, you know, there, there's something to be said. I've got uh, children at home. There's something to be said about um, even the, you know, kind of the state of our education uh, mm-hmm. from all the way from elementary to high school, all the way up to college, right? I know you start to see uh, quite a few impacts of uh, the pandemic on even our college system as we kind of go forward and say, okay, uh, what does the larger university kind of higher ed look like? And so the question really is, you take all this into consideration, um, you know, I think the only thing positive in the in the second quarter was uh, federal spending that was mm-hmm. on this fed- the positive side of the ledger. And so, you know, wh- where do we go? What are we investing? You know, kind of, I-, I know obviously there's some bets to place, but, you know, what, what do we see as kind of a main focus for, uh, you know, GDP growth uh, going forward, even amid a pandemic. Yeah, this is a, a, a question that's bedeviled me for a long time, Andrew. The, <laughs> you know, the, the levels of debt, which um, really the, the entire world has assumed are extraordinary. And all debts are not equal. Um, you know, you have productive debt, which um, is self-extinguishing. You're borrowing, say, to buy a grocery store, an apartment building. And um, that debt is useful. It buys you an asset. And if the asset is cash flowing, the debt will be self-extinguishing. And you're left with this asset and the economy is richer. Non-productive debt, on the other hand, is used for consumption um, and doesn't produce any meaningful cash flows. And of course, what that means is in order for that non-productive debt to be serviced, you have to divert cash flow from some other productive place. Um, and as this um, non-productive debt burden has grown, and most recently, of course, it's shot way up, you know, government transfer payments, and et cetera, those are all consumption expenditures. They're not investments. Um, we're going to be burdened with more um, non-productive debt. And you can really see it as the debt levels have grown and the proportion of this non-productive debt has gotten bigger. Each successive recovery in the U.S. economy has been weaker and weaker. I know they say it's you know been a 10-year recovery from the great financial crisis, but boy, it was really anemic in terms of a recovery compared to what we saw after 1999. And certainly after the savings and loan crisis and recession of 1990 and 91, the economy really rocketed ahead. For 70 years, the U.S. grew, um, our global trade balance grew by 4.5%, and the U.S. economy was growing at close to 4%. But now, you know, it's very sclerotic. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think it's just that we've got this heavy burden. I often have a dream that we'll have some kind of debt jubilee where we just <laughs> start to start fresh, wipe the slate clean, like the Book of Leviticus or some Old Testament <laughs> idea where you know the debts are just too much for us, and we have a a meeting and everyone agrees that we're going to just take the write down and then start. Well, I'm putting my money in your boat, Noah. <laughs> <laughs> right. 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 So, but. Um, but this is a this has become a, a global issue, and I mean maybe we can muddle through, but uh, certainly I think the 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 nature of this crisis 
as you all are aware, has exposed weaknesses um, that we wouldn't have normally seen if the crisis were just in the financial plumbing. I mean, everything from, of course, our preparation and leadership or lack thereof, um, you guys on the front lines um, searching for personal protective equipment, PPE, and the right. delivery of that, and how uh, logistically it was a nightmare. And um, in two, we see it in the financial system uh, where corporate debts have been very, very high and profits have been lackluster in general. Stock prices have risen, but this is the fascinating thing. I mean, the S&P 500 index is at a new all-time high, and at the beginning of the year, estimates were for the S&P 500 index of companies to earn about collectively 133 to $139 per S&P 500 share, if you think of it as sort of a conglomerate. And now those estimates have been ground all the way down to 86 to $88 a share, but you're paying more money for that share and getting less and less in earnings by a third? Ooh, I don't know. If you were a private buyer and someone offered to sell you their urgent care facility or whatever, and you looked at the, the revenues and the earnings and the, and the profits dropped by a third, I don't know if you'd be willing to stump up you know, 20% more for that business than you would have the year before. Right. I mean, there are other considerations, but really, um, the growth is not there and the, the, the profits are not there. Um, but yet the, the price that people are willing to pay continues to rise. So it creates this asymmetric risk-return environment where the risk to the downside is much greater than the risk to the upside. So I, I don't really have a convenient or clear answer except to say that it has been uneven in some areas of the market that have been orphaned uh, or widowed <laughs> by investors. They're not interested. Um, like I mentioned, you know, some of the energy space and some of the things that are kind of moribund and not exciting, um, shipping and cement and <laughs> some of the raw materials right. and commodity-based businesses, um, they kind of missed a lot of this run-up and therefore do hold value. And that gives you some downside protection too because you're, you're not paying rich or fancy prices um, with the hope of future growth. So we're, in some ways, we're kind of hunkered down right now just waiting for this um, economy and the economic reality to catch up to the markets. I, I think we're probably out of time for today. I, you know, I'm going to make, <laughs> make one more last prediction based on the conversation with John. And, you know, and obviously seeing uh, Google buy health records and Apple buy more digital health startups and all these companies continuing to, to trend. I think it's not long before one of the big five or six tech companies actually now try and buy a massive healthcare system, even if it's nonprofit. Um, not just for the data, but for the full vertical integration of, of offering service to the patients or customers as they see them. So you're saying, Neil, that when I put my phone down at home and I tell my wife, gosh, my foot really hurts, that <laughs> without delay, uh, an ambulance will come to my house, pick John, me up. John's going to show up at your door. <laughs> um, Dr. Lex is already there. She's <laughs> listening to you now. That's right, Alexa. Right. I, I don't think it's quite like that, but I, you know, we're, we're increasingly seeing the blur between these 
what, what big tech thinks it should take on, right? And, you know, maybe basic movement is a good indicator of health, and right? And we're, we're, we're seeing, obviously, everybody tracks steps every possible way or, mm-hmm. you know, time between Facebook logons is probably, there's probably some indicator of, of your movement um, hmm. in there. And so if they're trying to run these things at a fundamental level, and it seems like they're, Apple is trying to become more and more of a healthcare company every year to me. Having heard John today, I'm fairly confident in the next five or six years, we won't just see some big data being purchased from, from Providence, but maybe even, you know, literally a, a hospital from a big tech company. Hmm. It's an interesting oh. scenario. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so there you go. There's the big, uh, big, hairy, audacious uh, uh, prediction. Well, you know, I guess I would, I would just put this out to Jeff Bezos if he's listening. Uh, give me a call. We're for sale. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if the price is right, <laughs> I can see if they need a, an, an emergency physician, right? <laughs> thanks for joining oh, us on market also, meditation also the <laughs> thanks everyone no, don't, don't hang up don't get, hang up but th- thanks for joining us on market meditations uh brought to you by uh providence today i guess for lending us some time of <laughs> yeah andrew andrew haslam and, and john milne um we really appreciate you joining us on the episode um and we're sure we're going to call you for more and more insights as as time goes on and as the pandemic and the economy get worse. I look forward to it. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, John. All opinions expressed by Neil Modi and Chris Heidel and podcast guests reflect solely their own opinions and do not reflect the investments of Zoa Capital or Heidel, Beal & Associates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions.